0: most of what God thinks is significant, the world doesn't think is significant. And most of what the world thinks is significant, God doesn't really think is significant. And that's what we're going to see out of Luke chapter 2 today. And so the reason I think that's important and why it's important that we keep digging into the Word of God, we keep helping each other see life from God's perspective, is to know what God thinks is significant. Because as I've shared with you a bunch of times, uh, there's a lot of sand on this floor. And so... Right now, in my fingers, I have about a hundred grains of sand. Uh, you want to count these for me, Angela? Just, just go ahead. Yeah, they're hundred, right? And again, like I've shared with you, if each one of those grains of sand represents one year of life, that's a long life on this planet. Anybody here, hundred years old? Where did Marianne go? You're not even there, man. You're, you're, you're getting close, but even though you don't look like it, man, not a day over, well, seventy. Now, how old are you, get Marianne? Ninety. Yeah, yeah. You know what dude. dude, just for that, man, you know what, let's just sing her happy birthday right now, and I'm going to lead this so it sounds like a train wreck, ready? <laughs> happy birthday to you. see some changes in the country, see some changes in people? Changes in the language. Yeah, everything! <laughs> okay, well, I'll let you preach on that one day, but not today. But, but 100 grains, it's 98 grains of sand right there, man. That represents 98 years or 100 years, but eternity is not even close to, to, to the rest of the sand in all the other beaches in this universe. You understand how long we're going to be in eternity? you understand why it's so important to get this right? And man, when we face God, Him, man, I look so forward to him saying, what is it that you're looking forward to him saying? Say it with me if you got it. When, when we stand before him with using the grace that he's given us to serve and worship him, we're looking forward to him saying what? Well, God God. Good, and good and faithful servant. You know what would really stink? is to get there, and he's like, why did you do that? <laughs> You're like, what about, well, didn't I do a great job doing this? Didn't I do a great job doing... He said, yeah, but that's not what I asked you to do. That's not what I told you to do. That's not what I wanted you to do. I gave you a book. I gave you people to teach you. I gave you other believers to show you what I wanted so that, man, because I wanted to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant in that... That's why we've got to stay in the word and see life from God's perspective and help each other continually see it. Because again, I'm gonna say this, what the world considers significant, what the world considers important, and we live in this world and we have flesh that's drawn to this world, what the world says we're supposed to be striving for and shooting for is not what God says we are. And vice versa, the things what God says are important, the things that God says we're supposed to be striving for and what he considers significant, The world will look at you like a total lunatic the more you try to follow that. So who are you going to follow in this? And I'm glad we have in Luke 2 an example of some people that were just following him, man. They weren't trying to figure it out. They were just trying to follow. And that's what we're supposed to do. Because what He say, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He said, I'll make you that you will be that if you just simply follow me, it's going to happen. It's like you get thrown in the water, you're going to get you get thrown in a fire. You're going to get. Yeah, it just happens. Cause and effect. You follow Christ. You can't help but share what God has done for you and help them see life from God's perspective. It just happens. It's not something we just kind of we got to go learn to do and then we kind of like muster it out. That's not how it works. It's a natural progression. As we follow him, we become fishers of men. And you're going to see that in this story, especially towards the end. So let's take a look at this. And by the way, I would recommend, man, every single Christmas, which will be next Sunday morning, that when, when you get up, before you open presents, before you do anything, it would be awesome tradition if you've never had it to sit down and just read Luke 2, verses 1 through 20 with your family. Just look at it, read it, and get it into perspective because this is the Christmas story. And I'm gonna share it with you the way God has for me to share it with you today. But starting in uh, verse one, it says, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, Caesar Augustus was by far at that time The most important man in this universe and or at least he thought he was. And according to other people, he was the most important man in this whole universe. So important that he thought he could take everybody in his universe and have them stop everything that they were doing, whether they were nine months pregnant or not, and have them all leave to go back to their homeland and be counted so that he could then tax them or put them in the military if they weren't Jewish. Hey, do you know anybody that thinks that the world revolves around them? You don't have to point to them. If you know. Just raise your hand and say, don't look. Just say, I, I know somebody. like How many of y'all know somebody that thinks the world revolves around them? Oh, you guys are awesome. You have awesome friends then, right? <laughs> so, But that was Caesar Augustus, the most important man in the universe at that time, military. He thought it was so important what he wanted to accomplish, he could make everybody else in the world drop their plans and and kowtow or do what he wanted them to do. And so what he did is he wanted the world to be registered. Now, if you were Jewish, you couldn't be in the Roman military, so you were being registered, you had to go back to your homeland of where your lineage is, and it was for the purpose of taxing because you evidently needed some more money. Politics just doesn't ever seem to change, does it? (laughs) There's never enough money you know, in all of that. So he was having everybody come to be registered. Now it says in verse 2, the census first took place while Quirinius was the governor of of Syria. So all went to be registered. Everyone to his own city. Hey, what does all mean? Everybody. And what does everyone mean? All. Oh, I mean, yeah, look at uh, There, uh, everybody went and everyone went. Everybody. So I want you to see this. Um, Man, it's kind of like if you ever tried to travel around Thanksgiving when everybody's traveling. You're on the interstate. You're at the airport. You're man. You're. It's, it, can you imagine what it's like when everybody in the universe is moving at once? That's how it was at this point in time. when when Jesus was born. I don't want you to miss this. It wasn't like Mary and Joseph kind of on a donkey and they were all alone walking to Bethlehem. That's part of it, but man, I want you to imagine even more so if you've ever been to Orlando on I-4 that they were walking on a donkey on I-4 during rush hour traffic, okay? And so everybody was moving everywhere. It wasn't like just them and people were being mean to them. Everybody was moving. And how many of you would love to get home today and somebody has plans for you that you cannot get out of that you don't want to be a part of that's gonna mess up your plans how many of y'all would love to get home and find out you have to go from here to Orlando period you can't get out of it anybody here want your plans messed up you know on the yeah you know on the flight that's what was happening. so how do you think all these travelers were feeling Jack you got plans to go hunting man I'm going hunting. I've been planning this trip all year long. And then Caesar comes and says, no, you aren't. You're going 70 miles and you're going to walk and you're going to go register so you can pay me more money. How do you feel, man? A lot of angry people. Yeah, a lot of angry people, a lot of grumpy people. Do you think people were singing, uh, George? You don't think they were like, uh, hark the herald, hark the herald. You know what I mean? What I'm saying, these people were mad. They were ticked off. They were like, you ever been around grumpy people? and you're like you're like kind of like the opposite of grumpy right but but what happens when you get around grumpy people They bring out. oh my goodness it can happen you try so hard you try so hard to not be grumpy but it's sooner or later it's contagious man it's just going to happen you know it's it just it's it just going to happen and so i want you to get the flavor of what it was like this guy caesar augustus who the world thought was the most significant person He said, jump and everybody's jumping and everybody's now moving and they're going to their home place. Everyone, all of them were going to their own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, we've talked in the last few weeks. It's important. He was from the lineage of David. He got the right to be the king through his dad. Um, or his stepdad, which was Joseph, and he got the right to be a Jew through his mom and all this. But they were from, his family was from Bethlehem, okay? And so, but there was a problem. They were way up. You guys ever, uh, if you've never been to Israel, I've never been either. But if you look at a map, up at the top, there's a little lake. It's like Lake Okeechobee, only it's at the top this time. And that's the Sea of Galilee. And that's where they were all from. They were all up there fishermen. And Nazareth was this little insignificant place. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. So it's not, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. And so there's little Nazareth with little Mary and Joseph. And now they've got to come all the way down to Jerusalem through mountainous territory. Again, they weren't even on for, I-4. They're like going through the Rocky Mount. It's mountainous, treacherous territory that they're going through. So when you have that picture, Natalie, of Mary on a donkey, and you didn't show me that in the Bible yet, but we're just assuming she's on a donkey, but imagine them going through this treacherous territory and they've got to go down southeast uh, 70 miles to get down to Bethlehem. And she's great with child in this. So basically, Joseph went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David called Bethlehem because that's where he's from. Now, do you think a pregnant lady, nine months, if you're a husband, how many of y'all have been around a pregnant lady that was your wife, anybody? All right. Yeah. Uh, Erica. Now, she was probably pleasant, so this probably doesn't work yeah. out right. Yeah. But how, the, the day or two before her due date, how would you like somebody ordering you to have to get on a donkey, go through treacherous territory and going 70 miles down to the southeast? How would you how would you like that order? If you didn't have to go, would you go? No, dude, I'm not, and would you take her if you didn't have to take her? No. <laughs> all right, glad we got that straight. All right, now some of you are loving husbands. How many of y'all are loving husbands? Steve, you would take your wife, wouldn't you? I mean, you're just sacrificial, not selfish at all, but, no, but we're all right there. Because think about this, If she probably did ride on a donkey. Now, every, how did she get on the donkey? She's pregnant, so did she just put her foot in a stirrup and just whoop? You know, she's a little top heavy or middle heavy or front heavy, some kind of heavy. And so who had to help her up every time she got up there? Who had to help her down? Joseph. Yeah, so dude, this wasn't just Joseph walking. And her being pregnant and having a shrunken bladder, as pregnant ladies do, how many times do you think she had in 70 miles to get up and down off that donkey? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right. He might have been the one to invent a little bat. I don't know. I'm just the auto John or whatever. But I'm just saying, I want you to picture all of what's going on here in all of this it wasn't like the Charlie Brown Christmas necessarily man everybody's grumpy everybody's moving they're having to go from here to there and they weren't singing the hallelujah chorus at this point you know they're just everybody's just moving it's just man who is Caesar that he thinks he can make us do all this man now you know why they hated the Romans because it was stuff like this that had to happen all the time like a boss that's always changing his mind. Someone in authority that's always changing the rules. Every time you got you you finally figure out how to make it happen, it gets changed again. How many of y'all love change? Oh Ellie, you just put she's like, how many I, I was like, yeah. Ellie's my like like helium hand. I was like, how many of you? And she's putting her hand up, and then I said change, and she's like, no. <laughs> The older you get, do you really like change? <laughs> how do you like how do you like change as you get older? No, because as you get older, I mean, you finally just have enough energy to figure out how to get this done. Right. And now they change it and you got to figure it out all over again. And it's like, no. So I want you to get the picture of how this is all going down. And, man, so they're going 70 miles southeast down uh, down to, uh, to Bethlehem. And by the way, this little extra here. In the Hebrew, uh, Beth means house, but what does Lekam mean? All you were in life group, you know this, right? Bread. So it's kind of cool that Micah told him in prophecy hundreds of years prior that little Bethlehem, house of bread, Bethlehem, that's what Bethlehem means, that the little house of bread, the little most insignificant city in all of Ephraim, would be the birthplace of not only King David, but the Messiah. And so what God considers significant is often considered very insignificant in this world. How many of you have ever been considered insignificant? <laughs> how many of you have had somebody flat out tell you you're insignificant <laughs> when they gave your pink slip? Right. Or or they, or when something happens, man, how many of you ever felt really insignificant? <laughs> like you look at what's going on and what difference does it make? And if you don't get anything else out of this, if you are God's child, you're a child of the king. And in his economy, you are more significant than the most significant person in this world who is not a child of the king. You know that? And in fact, in God's kingdom, the more insignificant you kind of feel about yourself, the more significant you are in here. That's what he kept trying to teach the disciples. He said, if you think you're all that, you ain't. Help me out with that. If you think you are all that, you what? Yank. Yank, man. You ain't, man. You could tell somebody that next to you, but, you know, tell somebody that today. You think you're all that. You're not. You're not. To be the greatest in the kingdom, you've got to be the least in the kingdom. And so, yeah, man, man, God is just going to show all kinds of things in here that the world thinks is insignificant. And, and he's going to make them very significant. Because in God's economy, how significant was Bethlehem? Dude. Jesus had to be born there. How significant was Nazareth? Dude, isn't that how Jesus was later determined? There are millions of Jesuses. That was like the name John. And it was like Jesus of? Nazareth. Yeah, dude, that was his claim. because, and, and Nazareth was such a small little place that when they said Jesus of Nazareth, they're like, oh, yeah, that's that guy. That's him. So God's always taking what the world considers as insignificant and to him it's huge, it's very significant. And you're going to see this through this whole story. That's the point I want you to get today because we got to see ourselves as somewhat insignificant as far as this world system goes, but see our significance as a child of the king and realize that we've got to stay insignificant. It's not about raising our social status and all our statuses in this world. It's, it's about serving him and becoming the lowest and becoming humble and serving him. And that's what makes us significant to him. And I'd rather be significant to him than significant to this world. So in all of this, Bethlehem, the littlest town in all of Ephraim, was going to have the Messiah. And so it went on to say in verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Does anybody have a King James with them by any chance? I like how that one uh, terms it. It says, says, who was great with child. (laughs) Man, doesn't that just accept? Has anybody here ever been great with child? Yeah, great. Ashley, last year? Man, right before you were, like, coming in, man, uh, you guys, you, you're probably fresh. Oh, yeah, you too. You're, you're pretty fresh. How old you, little boy?
1: Okay, yeah. So
0: you re- can, can you just, like, great with child, can you identify with that? Yeah, man. I, I can't even imagine, but I know it when I see it. I've never felt it, but I know when I've seen it, man. How many You you know, you're in the mall and that great with child waddles going on. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Great with child. That's Mary. She was fixing the bus. All right? It wasn't that she was just, you know, kind of pregnant and she's a tough woman, you know, and she's teaching Zumba and all this. Dude, she's fixing the bus. And she's getting on a donkey, probably, and riding 70 miles over treacherous territory because... The world's most significant man said she had to. Man, I mean, if anybody had a reason to disobey the law, wouldn't you think Mary would? I mean, Sterling, can you imagine being pregnant like that? No, you probably can't, but, And that's a good thing. But man, it, it, aren't we looking for reasons not to obey the law sometimes? Aren't we looking for excuses to get out of doing what we're supposed to do? None of you guys, you guys are awesome. But <laughs> I saw some of you going, yeah, okay, we're, I'm talking to you guys and me. We're always looking for that. But if Mary would have looked for excuses and bailed out on this man, and she couldn't. But that's why God picked somebody obedient. But Jesus wouldn't have been born where the prophet said he'd been born. He couldn't have been the Messiah. So we knew that was all going to go down. And you know what? Those times when we're trying to bail out of responsibility, those times when we're trying to bail out of doing what we should do, bail out of doing what's right. You know what? It's those times that we may be missing the biggest blessing in our life. Some of the greatest impossible hardships that we go into are opportunities for God to do the biggest miracle in our life. Some of the coolest things he's ever done have been done at times when we didn't think it could be done. And we didn't really want it to be done. But afterwards, we got a killer story, man. Well, they say adventure is most fun uh, talking about after the fact. If it was all that great in the middle of it, it wasn't an adventure, you know. And that's what God, I want to live an adventure for God. Man, if my whole life is planned out for God, like, boop, 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 you know, just a nice little bit. That sounds good, but how boring you accomplish. And it's like, well, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. What's next? Okay, let's walk this way, you know, instead of like, what's next? And God says, just follow me. And then when you get there, like, dude, check this out. Look what God did. And by the way, we did that. Monday Night's Life group kind of went there. With how God has orchestrated things out, and it was awesome to hear. And not the first week, not New Year's Day, but the next week, what we're going to have in church is we're gonna, in in our service here is we're going to have an opportunity for people to talk about how God changed their life last year, and um, things like that. And you can share if you want. You don't. Know, you can make it spontaneous if you want. You can write it out if you think you need to, or whatever. But we're also at that point going to introduce our blessing jar. And uh, that came up in a small group, and, and that, uh, um, Ashley's been making these blessing jars in her art, but she donated the original one that stands about this big. And it's going to be up here every Sunday after that. And we're going to have some little cards, little things. And what I want to encourage you guys to do is uh, if God has done something just so supernatural that only he could get blamed in your life, Man, that week, I want you just to write something on that card. You can put your name on it. You don't have to, and you can just throw it in there. But here's what I'd love to see. Every week is I'd love to see all of us throwing stuff in that jar. And every week, me going and reaching in that jar and reading a few of them. Know that if you put your name, I'm reading them. <laughs> and, but there's no secrets in here. We're all family, right? And, uh, so, but you don't have to put your name on it. But isn't that encouraging? Because there's some weeks where I don't really see God doing some crazy things in my life. And but I see them doing them in yours, and that encourages me to keep following. And by the same token, there's times when you're going through a little, like, valley or dry spell, and, and I'm having it. And so we can then encourage each other to see life from God's perspective. So look forward to that, because that's what God wants to do. So here they are. They're taking off. All right, verse 5, uh, 6. So. Delivery. This is why I kind of say that, you know, I mean, having a baby is just a piece of cake, right? I mean, guys, how many of y'all, you know, it's just... Uh, ladies make just way too big a deal of this whole thing. And I get this. This is in Scripture, okay? Because look what it says. So it was. So it was. I mean, it didn't say, all right, now. It says, so it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. How uneventful is that? that is easy. I mean, dude, guy could pop that out, right, Sterling? I mean... <laughs> Look at that. So it was while they were there. Yeah. And I am being totally facetious, guys. If you have never seen a baby be delivered, you know, certainly when you get married and your wife is pregnant, you need to be in there and watch that because you will do two things. One, you will say, I am not worthy. And the other thing is you will respect that. Not only your wife, but that kid so much more. And um, and so I'm being facetious. But look how simple this is written out. This is the birth of Christ who they've all been waiting for. So it was, while they were there, the days were completed and there she's delivered. Boom. But think about this. Did she have one of them fancy little rooms at a nice little hospital, you know, where they had the, you know, the little like lullaby music playing and, you know, the aromatherapy and the, and the special little seat with the cup holders, you know what I'm saying? And did they have, you know, did they have all that going on in a special row? And then the doctor comes in with the little mask and goes, 42 what you know what I'm saying did, did the did they have all that did they have emergency like uh, you know physicians there in case something happened with the baby or with you know or with the mom did they have any of that no man what they probably had who was there Joseph. Mary and Joseph and the animals yeah what good would the animals be at that point you know? Joseph's like, move louder, I don't want to hear her scream. No, I'm just like, but I don't know how it was all going down, but it was Mary and Joseph, get that. And in reality, they were probably in a dark cave because that's really where they housed the animals at night. They went into probably a cave, and there was an upper level in that cave where the shepherds would sleep and maybe even hone out of the rock, if not something made out of wood, hone out of the rock, a little scooped out place where they they could put hay, and that's what the manger was the manger was actually where you fed the animals and so in this honed out rock of a cave in this this little area that's where mary and joseph were own? did you deliver your last baby for carrie man you didn't you didn't just say you know what we're doing this all natural honey man you know get in the bathtub here right i think that's how they do it on the tv shows right But, no, man, but can you imagine you and Carrie, like, just traveling, and all of a sudden, she's like, well, here it is, and you're like, all right, I'm ready. Absolutely not, not. and your experience, that was your third one. This was Joseph's first one, and y'all remember, what was the movie, Gone with the Wind, and what was that, like, uh, You you remember that one little girl who was supposed to be helping her? And she said, I know nothing about born and babies. I can just picture Joseph saying that. Like, I don't know anything about born and babies, you know? And there she was, Mary and Joseph. Where do you think he got the courage to even, like, say, to give it a shot? Jack, today. Man, at a restaurant, girl in the booth next to you is ready to deliver, and no one's helping. You, you're like, oh, yeah, I slept in a holiday Inn last night. I mean, Seriously, would you even think of jumping in and helping? No, no. No, because you're not qualified, no. right? And, and, and Joseph, no more qualified. But if God said, Jack, I want you to go deliver that baby. I guess I'd have to try that. Yeah, and whose strength and knowledge and wisdom would you have to depend upon? God and and you imagine walking over there hey you know i'm not a doctor and i've never done this but god wants me to help you deliver the baby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got to blame the whole thing on god and you got to count on him man i just want you to picture this situation and so here they're giving this baby they're delivering this baby but as somebody put in the thursday night life life group so oh, just so beautifully you know they said in i i oh man i Tom, do you remember what you said? (laughs) I thought I wasn't going to quote you, but it was like in, in all this roughness, in all this roughness that we have about the, you know, the delivery, how it just looks rough being on this donkey, being in this rock cave, being here, being there, in all that roughness, God really, it was his plan to separate them to be by themselves. And in all that roughness, it was really just so gentle. It couldn't have been any better. It might not have been the way you had it planned. Steve, if you would have had that plan for your wife's baby delivery, she probably wouldn't have gone along with it, right? Okay. But God had to orchestrate it this way. God sets things up. And the way things go in your life sometimes, don't you think that God could come up with a gentler way of accomplishing it sometimes? But understand, man, it's not until after the fact sometimes that you see there could not be any better way than the way he's doing it right now. He's sovereign. He's in control. And providence is one of the greatest, biggest miracles that we miss every day because we're whiny, cryy little babies. And it's not going our way. Instead of getting what we want, we need to want what we get. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everything you need will be added unto you. Delight yourself in the Lord. Help me finish that one out, Ashley. Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and... He'll give you the desires of your heart. If the desires of your heart are wrong, you'll change them. Otherwise, he'll fulfill the ones he's got. Instead of whining about what you didn't get, want what you get. Realize it comes from him. Realize that's set up. Man, it could not have been a more beautiful birth than that little family bonding right there. That's, is God perfect or not? He's perfect. So however he chooses to do it is right. And it couldn't have been any better than the way God designed it. And it's the same way in your life. We just got to see it that way. And that's why our job is to help each other see it that way, because we don't always see it that way. And my family now, after preaching this, is going to remind me about 30 times today (laughs) that exact thing I just told you. So here it was. Look at verse 6. So well, so it was, while they, I can imagine Eeyore reading this, <laughs> that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. <laughs> it's like so anticlimactic, but dude, I've been in a couple of births and it's not anticlimactic, man. There's a lot of junk going on there. And, but here it was, but in all that roughness, it was really just so beautifully gentle and simple. Verse seven, and she brought forth her firstborn son, Wrapped him in swaddling clothes, which was nothing unusual because we still bundle our babies today for numerous reasons. Um, And so she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. But what was unique was the next part and laid him in a manger. And again, that manger was nothing more than a feeding trough. Man, I'll never, I mean, you go to the nurseries today and they got the babies wrapped up and they've got them all in sterile little like uh, glass containers and they've got antibacterial lights and I don't know, they, they got UV lights, all these things that just make it so pristine. Could you imagine taking your baby and laying them in cow spit? <laughs> I don't know, maybe they put some fresh hay in there, but you, would you even think of doing that? And if you were God who could do anything, would you think of? that that's the best you could do. But there's a purpose in God laying Christ in a place so lowly. And that reason is to make him accessible. If he would have been born in, you know, Jerusalem Memorial Hospital that only the rich people could go to, who could go see him? Yeah, but he was born in a barn. (laughs) He was born in a cave. Who had access to him? And who has access to him today? exactly man and so man the more humble we are i think the more access we have to him because it's our pride that gets in the way of us accessing him so often so she put him in a manger and it says because there was no room for them in the inn. here's the trick question what did the innkeeper say <laughs> okay well we said yeah but in reality we don't even see an innkeeper so we don't know there was one they could this inn could have been nothing more than just a guest house And I want you again to remember, this is I-4 traffic. This is like backed up on the turnpike. This is like everybody's moving. And so, you know, the last one to get a hotel room is the one with no money. You got money, money talks, man. You can get into places, but they had nothing. But again, God was doing it that way to make him have access. And also, I think, give them the perfect environment to do what they needed to do in. And so there was no room for them. So they went there. Next verse. Now. So that's Mary and Joseph. Now, who's there in this little cave at this point? We got Mary, we got Joseph, and who else? Jesus. Uh, Jesus, yes. Okay, yes, important factor. And who else? The animals. animals. That's it, okay? So uh, prior to Christmas, that's what your nativity scene might look like, all right? You know, so they have that. Now we go into the next phase here, and it says they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, okay? Now, how many of you all hate camping? like out in the wilderness. Yeah, you would absolutely hate being a shepherd because you didn't have a tent, you didn't have an RV. I mean, they're living out in the fields out there. We don't know what time of year it was. There's speculation. We don't know the date Jesus was born. We don't know any of that stuff. But what we do know is that those shepherds who were probably raising sheep that were going to be used for sacrifice purposes were out there in the field keeping watch over their flock. And what time of day was it? We do know that. It It was night. So it was dark. And so here they are, they're watching the sheep, they're all hanging out. These are the ones that didn't get to go in the little cave. These are the guys just out in the field. And so remember, imagine, they're just kind of chilling. You know, they got the sheep down, they got them all settled down. Kind of like, you know, Ashley, when you you guys are trying to get Keone to sleep, and then I come in and rile them up. That's not good, right? That they're trying to get them settled down, get it quiet. It's nice and calm. And the, the one guy or two guys are the ones that are, you know, designed to be able to watch the animals. And the others are going to get ready to go to sleep. So it's dark. It's quiet for the most part. It's peaceful, man. The stars, they're all just kind of chilling. And it's quiet and dark. Now look what happens. And behold, verse 9. An angel of the Lord stood before him. You guys know this. What does everybody say when they see an angel? Ah! Yeah, so it's all quiet. It's like, it's like, Yaron finally got finned down and all of a sudden the kids run in and go, ah! you know, and it's just like, man, these shepherds were startled. An angel of the Lord, when people see one angel, they freak out. And angels, we know, especially this one, was light. So it was almost at that point in time as their eyes were closing and they were relaxing that God just turned on a Q-beam, just a Q-beam on steroids down on them. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. That word glory is the word Shekinah, and it's talking about that brightness. So God just turned the lights on. He radically, drastically changed their situation and it shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Yes, because they're shepherds. Now, let me tell you something about shepherds. If you don't know, is shepherds didn't get to go to church because they're always shepherding. So they were considered ceremonial and clean. The Pharisees and Sadducees looked down on them like, Huh, you guys don't go to church. You guys are this. You guys are that. They look down on them. Now, we know that shepherds did have their own form of worship. These shepherds were looking for God. We will see this. Um, well, you'll see the shepherds doing this. In fact, later, Jesus even calls himself. I'm the good shepherd. You know, that would be like saying in our day, somebody saying, I am the good bank robber. <laughs> you know, I am. I am the good you know, whatever, because it was not a respected position. These were the lowest people on earth, shepherds. They were considered that by the religious people, by the political people, by the people with money. They were looked down upon because they just didn't fit into that little socioeconomic status. They They didn't know the rules. They were supposed to wear, you know, clean clothes and shoes and stuff like that. They just didn't fit in. But God came to them. Why would God come to the shepherds? Instead of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, why? What if he went to the highest political leaders? Man, again, who would have access to this knowledge? Only those guys, and they would probably charge you for it. But you know what God did? He went to the lowest people, showing again that everybody has access. And in God's economy, are there people lower and higher than others? No, like we talked about last week, there's two boats. There's one boat headed to hell. There's one boat headed to heaven. And when God gives you the grace and desire to surrender your life to him, he puts you in the boat headed to heaven. And how long are you in that boat for forever? forever. You can't get kicked out. You don't lose a seat. You don't you don't love you. Can, you're always in that boat now in that boat. We're all in the same boat, different seats. And God continually changes our seats around. But in that boat, man, we're all the same. The only reason we're in that boat is by God's grace. So there is no high and low. There is no this and that, man. And that's where we get in trouble is when we start putting people in little classes and we think we're better than somebody. Man, you start thinking you're better than somebody, you probably have got it flipped around (laughs) at that point in God's economy. Man, we've all got sin. We all have situations where we don't see life from God's perspective. And that's why we've always got to be helping each other do that. So these shepherds, man, got the cubing turned on them, and they were greatly afraid. Verse uh, next verse, verse 10. Then the angel said, oh, what do angels always say after they fall on the ground? Don't be afraid. There it is again. Don't be afraid. Well, a little too late for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I'm bringing you great news for all people. Verse 11. There's born to you this day in the city of David, a savior. Which is Christ the Lord. There's only one of two places in the Gospels where Jesus is called the Savior. And check that out because that's a little unique there. But he told us what he's there for. I'm bringing you the Savior that you've been looking for since Adam and Eve when you got kicked out of the garden, man. I'm bringing you that Messiah, that person that everyone's been waiting for. And it's Christ the Lord. No doubt that he is who we think he is in verse 12. And there will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. There's the unique thing. Not that he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, but he's lying in a manger. You go around. If you ever want to see this guy, you go. I'm going to tell you where he's at. I'm not going to tell you to go. You don't have to go. I'm just giving you some information. And when you get there, you'll know you see him because he's going to be the only baby lying in a feeding trough. All right. You know, kind of like you go to the hospital, and they're like, yeah, don't look in the nursery where all those other babies are lined up. Instead, I want you to go just look in the parking lot and find one in a garbage can or a bucket. That's, yeah, you say, ah, but that's kind of, you would not miss it, would you? But that's exactly what God did. He didn't have them in the nursery. had them in the lowest place because everybody could have access to him. All right, next verse. And suddenly, okay, suddenly, suddenly, okay, so here's the picture. Already they've got one Q-beam on them. Whenever somebody sees one angel, what do they say, guys? Oh, come on, man, wake the person up next to you. Whenever they see one angel, they say, yeah! right, okay, all right. Now look at this, guys. I don't know if you ever picked this up, but look at it. One angel will freak everybody out, but suddenly what there was with the angel a what? A multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, so now it wasn't just one angel that freaks everybody out. A multitude is almost too many. You can't even count. A myriad was like, you know, uh, there was like 6,000 when Jesus, you know, had said that he could bring, couldn't bring 12 legions of angels. It was like 72,000 angels. But this multitude is like, we can't even count it. There's that many angels. And these angels who have been with God since they were created are now stoked and they are totally excited. What are they excited about? That the a the Savior's here. But what more importantly than even just the fact of the Savior, what? Are they excited about for men that we can be saved? And here's the thing. Angels, they are kind of jealous of us. The Bible teaches because they were never sinners, so they don't get to be redeemed. They don't get to experience that kind of love from God. And they're like, man, I wish I could have been a sinner and I could have been redeemed. Redemption is something they don't understand. But they've been seeing it in the behind the scenes for for however long it was since God created them. And now they're stoked because now man has the ability to be saved and have a home in heaven. Why are they so excited about heaven, Jack? What do you think? Where do they live? Heaven. They live in heaven. And so, so you know what? Have you, they've been there for all this time. And now they see the fact that man can be redeemed by love and is going to have a home in heaven. And they, they're like really excited because they know what it's like there. Angels are stoked about us being able to be saved and they can't even be saved So if angels are so excited about our salvation, don't you think we should be? Man, don't you think we should be more excited? But what is it that takes our excitement away? How about the cares of this world and the problems of this world and getting our eyes off of God? And looking at our but that's why our job is what's our job here at Driftwood to help each oh, other from God's because man when you're seeing it from God's perspective and you help someone else see it that way man we can be stoked about our salvation and that's what it's about and so in this there hope that this this myriad of angels this multitude too many to count they are saying okay and contrary to Handel's Messiah okay anybody like Handel's Messiah you listen to it every anybody not know what handles Messiah is Oh, my God. Handel's Messiah. There's people, here that don't know it. We'll have to maybe bring it in sometime. But, yeah, when I was a little kid, uh, my mom, my mom could really sing, and she was like this soprano voice, and she would just belt things out. And at night, a Christmas night, Christmas Eve, she would put us to bed, and, you know, and as kids, we're excited. We never try to sneak out when you're real little, and see what's going on and all this. Well, once we were finally all asleep, then my mom would put her records on. Y'all remember record players, anybody? Remember the big CDs, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And you stacked them and they would drop after the next one. She put on, and Handel's Messiah came on and she put it at the right speed. Now, Handel's Messiah, uh, uh, help me out. Who, who, who's heard it before? You, you know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's classic, man. But there's the angels, instead of saying this, the angels are singing it in this. And my mom and her belting out voice of soprano-ness. She's, it, we're all sleeping and she couldn't contain herself and all of a sudden we hear, glory to God of the highest! And it was like, not quite like that, Emily, but it was like, man, she belted it out and every one of us in the house woke up and we all thought we were in heaven, I promise. It was crazy. We're like, what? What? And I think of it every time I see this, but the angels really didn't sing. They said this. And they were saying it over and over again, man, Glory to God in the highest. Glory. You guys know what you got, man? Jack, I'm dropping you down into woods where there's only 10-point bucks. They're the smallest. And you can get one a day, man. It's all there. This is your dream come true. And then when you're done with that, there's 40-inch snook. All that you want. You know? Can you imagine? And, yeah, the angels are like, dude, you got no idea. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. So that was the message, peace, goodwill towards men. There's going to be peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But let me ask you a question. When the angels went back up to heaven and Jesus is now born, did all of a sudden Rome quit being so nasty? Did the world, all of a sudden, everybody start loving each other, man? This, you know, the, the lion and the lamb were laying down together. Did everybody Did everybody quit fighting? Is that what happened? Then is God a liar? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's what the Savior's supposed to bring, right? But they, as well as us, are often looking for it externally. We're looking for our circumstances to change. We're looking for all this external. Man, would you quit doing this? Would you quit? And Jesus kept telling them, man, the kingdom is internal here. I want to be king of your heart, not the king of your land right now. And if each one of you lets me be king of your heart... Then wherever you guys are gathered, they'll know you by your love. It's going to be there. There's going to be goodwill towards man. Peace on earth, goodwill towards man. If you've got it in your heart. And besides, we learn later from the Apostle Paul, he says, when you're filled with the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness. It's all those things, even if the conditions on your external in your external environment don't warrant it. So let me ask you a question. Are you looking for the external peace or are you good with the internal peace? If you could only choose one or the other, having it externally or having it internally, which one would you rather have? Because if it's internal, the fruit of the spirit is love. So if you're walking in the spirit, you're filled with? Love. What if everybody around you is hateful? You're still filled with? And the further spirit is peace. So what if there's war going on all around you in your most miserable warlike conditions? If you're filled with the spirit, you're filled with can anything or anybody or any circumstance or anybody take that from you? Not if your kingdom is on the inside, not if you've got that on the inside. And that's what Jesus was saying. Guys, it's not time for me to change Rome. It's not time. I want to change your inside before I change the outside. But just like them, we keep looking for them to change the outside. How many of our prayers are about changing our externals instead of changing our internals? God, would you just make that person be a loving part? You? God, would you just take care of them? God, will you like help them? Will you instead of God or God, give me this, give me that fix this, fix that instead of God, give me love, give me peace, give me give me a piece of fruit, man. God, I need this piece of fruit. Man, that's what he's talking about because if you look at this, it looks like God's the biggest liar in the world because there's not peace on earth, goodwill towards men. My favorite Christmas carol was written by Henry Wadsworth Long's Longfellow during the Civil War, and it's it's that song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Man, go read all the stanza of that. You can find Google it up. It's there. But that's exactly where this guy was coming from, man. He's heard the bells on Christmas Day, and he's like, Yeah, it's supposed to be peace on earth, goodwill men, but dude, brothers are killing brothers. I'm looking out here and seeing amputated soldiers from a fight with a family. It's like the whole world's a mess. How can you say there's peace on earth? And then he comes to the realization that it's internal and not external. If it's internal, nobody can take it from you except you. It's between you and God. And it comes from seeing life from his perspective and digging what you got instead of being upset about what you don't have. Go on with the next one. So it was when the angels had gone away from them in heaven. So here it is, man. They were relaxing. Boom! There's light. Boom, 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 more light, more light. All these angels. And they're all saying this all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's gone. <laughs> you know? They're gone. It's kind of like when our kids come to visit, man. We got the whole family together, and then they all just leave. It's like, your house is just empty. Like, oh, where'd that happen? You know, only here now it's just dark again. So what other choices? What could they have done, Destiny? Here they just heard all this great stuff. They didn't have any direction. They were just told some stuff, right? Now, one thing they could have done is what? Yeah, dude, they're like, wow, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> Let's go back to sleep and think about that. They could have, right? What else? You know, they could have uh, sat around and talked about it amongst themselves and say, dude, wasn't that an awesome party? Man, wasn't that an awesome worship service we have? Oh, I'll never forget it. And boy, that one angel, he's my favorite. And, you know, and all this. And then they could have just sat around and talked about about it with themselves, right? But look what they did. It says, so it was when the angels had gone away from them in heaven that the shepherds said to one another. They looked at each other and they said, hey, dude, you want to go to Bethlehem? <laughs> that's really what they said. It says, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. But Al, but, oh, that's probably not how they talked, right? They didn't talk in a bridge. Let us now go to Bethlehem. You know, they're like, dude, you want to go to Bethlehem? He didn't say we couldn't go, did he? <laughs> because did anybody tell them they had to go? No. They didn't have any. No, it was just, hey, here's some information of a cool thing that's going on. And I'm giving you all the details, so if you want to go, you can do it. They didn't even really invite, but he went to the other shepherd. Hey, you want to go to Bethlehem? If anybody was going to go, go to Bethlehem with me and not know what we were going to find, you'd go. Who else would go with me to Bethlehem? Yeah, dude, you'd go. Ellie, I know you would go. And who else would go to Bethlehem with me? You know what? I know all of you guys would go to Bethlehem with me. Jack's like, oh, I know. I didn't know. No. <laughs> but if would be worth it, bro. I would do. Yeah, I know you would go, man. And that's what, that's what God's brought here. You know, driftwood is a bunch of people say, dude, let's go check out Bethlehem. (laughs) It's like, and that's why I love you guys so much, because that's who you guys are. And that's what they did. They're like, all right, let's go check it out. And, And and let's see what if this thing's come to pass, which God made known to us. There's no denying this was God telling us. And then verse 16. And it says, and then they came with haste. So they're running, man, to Bethlehem. And it says they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So now let's update your nativity scene. Who is there in this cave? We've got who? Mary, Joseph, Jesus, the animals. And then who do we have? Yeah, a bunch of shepherds. And that's it. Now, has anybody had a chance to talk to anybody about this yet? The shepherds only talking among themselves. Mary and Joseph are like, wow, well, I mean, they're all alone in there. And there's the Messiah. And they're like, I was kind of expecting God to be a little more involved in this one. You know, (laughs) Uh, at least you could send some flowers, God, you know, or something there. And and all of a sudden, these shepherds come, like, "Oh, there it is, the baby in the feeding trough. That's it. Hey, Mary and Joseph, these angels came. Oh, you wouldn't believe. And now these are people that hadn't heard from God in over 400 years. And now the angels are hearing from him. Mary and Joseph have been hearing from him. Zachariah and Elizabeth have been hearing from him. God's on the move, and these angels, man, they're the, the the shepherds are coming in and saying, "You won't believe what we were told by the angels." And Mary and Joseph are like, "Yeah, you and I had a dream." Joseph said, "I was gonna like get this woman, like just let her go away and have the baby, and people, you know, and, and God, the angel told me to marry her." And Mary's like, "Yeah, what about me? I was told that." I was going to be a pregnant virgin. That's like a jumbo shrimp. It just doesn't happen. And they're all talking with each other about what's going on. And now, can you imagine the excitement in this room? But that's what happens when God's doing supernatural things. There's excitement. But when you planned it out, you're like, oh, well, I guess that was a good Christmas thing. <laughs> you know, we had to, you know, it's, it's cool when God works. Man, you know what I love? Monday, now this might make you want to come at least once a year to you know, our Monday Night Live group, but man, Susie had a big old party at her house. That was awesome. Your house was packed with people, and our bellies were packed with shrimp and pasta, and, and all the other stuff. That's just all I remember is the shrimp and pasta, but man, you know what was really cool? We're all full. We're stuffed, and I'm thinking, I really didn't know if anybody really wanted to have Bible study that night, because I'm thinking, everybody's eating, blood's being used to digest food, and all that, and we're sitting there, and, and at the end, everybody's grabbing chairs and saying, all right, now let's have Bible study, and I'm like, you know what time it is, right? And they're like, yeah, it's only eight o'clock. <laughs> and it's like, you know how long Bible study takes? Yeah, man, let's have And it's like, all right. And we get on Bible study, and then God just spontaneously starts inspiring different people to share their stories of what God's done in their life. That was awesome. It was awesome. And we didn't orchestrate that. As much as you were, you know what, Susie? I loved your pasta and shrimp. It was awesome. But I love those testimonies even more because that that was supernatural. But don't get me wrong. Don't don't like stop doing that shrimp stuff. All right, <laughs> it's all good. You keep doing it as many as often as you want. That's what we're talking about, man. When God just busts out and does supernatural stuff, it's cool when He does that. Now I'm not saying He didn't do stuff like that in other life groups, but I'm just thinking about that right now. And so that's the angels and Mary and Joseph, or not. I mean the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. They're all just they're just talking of what's going on. So that's what your nativity scene should look like at this point. And um, they found the baby lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child and all those who heard it. Now, who are all those that heard it? <laughs> Mary and Joseph <laughs> and the other shepherds. That's all those at this point. And they marveled. So there they were in there talking with each other and everybody was reiterating what went on you know we were hearing uh, about carl's aneurysm he had like you know when was that last summer what year May 14th, y'all, oh, you remember that date, huh? And uh, yeah, and, and he should have died. And we were talking about, you know, all the different things. I'd heard the story. I was there when it all went down, even, you know, in hearing about it and being part. And, and then when he talked about it, it was like reliving the memories. And it was so cool. A lady was visiting, and, and Natalie's like, oh yeah, Lynn, don't you remember? I was cutting your hair when I got the phone call, and you said, let's pray. And we were just watching God orchestrate things. And it's cool. And that's what was happening here. Man, if you're bored, follow the Lord. <laughs> you know, if you're bored, follow the Lord, man. It's not mundane. And step out. You know where the fruit is on a tree? When you climb a tree, anybody here, good tree climbers? In your day, man. You ruined your tall. You didn't probably have to climb trees, right? You just reached up. But, dude, I could climb some trees, and uh, I know I can't anymore. But you know where the fruit is on the tree? It's out on the limb. So if all you want to do is stay on the strong branches that you can trust, that you know about, and you just want to stay on the trunk and say, oh, I'm here. Man, you want the fruit. You got to go out on the limb, man. You got to go out on the limb. And when you go out on the limb, you got some stories to tell, man. And that's what happened to these guys here. They got to meet the Savior. And so I just want to give you a counter counter story, and we're done. Uh, We'll look at probably two more verses, but share this. Do you guys remember, and uh, in Life Group this week, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2, where the wise men, the magi come. And this is when Jesus was actually about two years old. So if you got wise men in your manger, you need to like build a house, because they were really in a house at that point. They weren't really there. And there was a bunch of them and all this other stuff, Well, we know. But when the wise men, they knew that the Messiah had come. And they knew that it was the king of the Jews. And so they thought that if they were going to figure out where the best place to ask for directions of how to find them would be to go to the temple. They went to Jerusalem to the most religious people, to the most religious place. And they asked the most religious, you know, authorities, hey, where's this Messiah? Where is he? Because if you don't know, nobody probably knows. And they're like, oh, we don't know. (laughs) And they're like, huh. And they said, well, here's what happened. We've been following the star. This has been going down. All this is happening. And we know he's here somewhere. And he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And King Herod heard about it even. And King Herod, did he now go to go see the Messiah when the, when the wise men left? Did King Herod even send any of his people? Was it worth his time to send his people? Did any of the Pharisees, Sadducees, or Sanhedrin go with them to go see the King of the Jews, the Messiah they've been waiting for forever? They've been preaching about it. Did anybody go? No. The best that happened was King Herod looked back and said, oh yeah, hey guys, if you happen to find him and he's really there and it's worth my time, on your way back, let me know, he says, I wanna go worship him too. And what he really meant is I wanna take him out. So the most religious people of the day, they were told the same thing the shepherds were and the shepherds were the lowliest people. There's a little bit of difference and I'm not talking about socioeconomic status, I'm talking about the condition of your heart Whether you're humble or prideful. If you're humble, man, you go for it. You go out on the limb. If you're prideful and you think you know it all and you think you're all that, then you're just going to stay put until something's proven to you. And so Herod and them didn't even go. The Pharisees didn't go, but these shepherds did. How many of you all go to Bethlehem with me? Yeah, man. Let's go. But you know where our Bethlehem is now? It's right here. Bethlehem is here helping others see life from God's perspective. Two more verses and we're done. All right. But listen to this. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So while Mary was in there and the shepherds and Joseph, you know, guys are when they're talking. All right. You know, girls, they're all talking. and, And Mary and Joseph are, you know, Mary's there. And she just hmm, because she is a 12, 13 year old girl just had the Messiah without being impregnated by a man, being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And she is looking, saying, this is not what I thought was going to happen for the Messiah. And she's just pondering. And I think she pondered her whole life. And I just keep picturing her at the cross where her son has been beaten beyond recognition. And she's watched him up there, hung on a cross. And John says, Mary, take, uh, but Jesus says, John, take care of Mary. Mary, John's going to take care of you." And I just imagine Mary at that point pondering all the way back to that little manger. But her pondering starts right now. She's just taking it all in and doesn't know what to do with it. So all I'm going to say there is when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. You're not going to know it all, but do what you know to do right now. And the more you do it, the more you'll understand later. And one day you'll be able to go back and ponder all that God has done. And that's what happens when people get together talking about what God has done, things that are supernatural. It didn't make sense at the time, but now you can look back at it and say, wow, what an awesome God. Get historical, not hysterical. Just follow, just follow him, because that's what all of these people did. Because look at verse 20 and we're done. It says the shepherds then returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as was told them. So think about this. God took insignificant Mary and Joseph in an insignificant little place called Nazareth, and he had a job to do. He had to get them down to insignificant little Bethlehem so that his, according to the world, insignificant little prophecy could be fulfilled that Jesus would be born in the house of bread. So he had all these insignificant things to the world. But according to God, this was the most significant thing. And who did he use to make all that happen? The world's most significant people he got the whole world moving to get these little guys all the way down to here you got no idea what God's orchestrating to get you where you need to be to do what you need to do you just got to follow he took the most significant man of the most significant kingdom and he or- he used him and did King Herod love God no he hated God he thought he was a God. He already killed four of his kids because they were fighting over who was going to be taking over for him. Man, it's like, so So, if they, they don't even have to love God. They don't have to know God. God took this most significant non-believer and used him without him even knowing. So imagine what he can do with you when you want to be used by him. So again, make sure you get your priorities straight and make sure that you know what God considers significant and invest your life in that. Because if you invest in what just the world says is significant, at the end you missed it. And you can't say you weren't warned. (laughs) And I want you to warn me. Make sure all of us see life from God's perspective and keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you so much for this Christmas story, and I know there's a lot there, and um, it's been awesome going through it in all of the different life groups, and and then being able to share it on on Sundays. Father, um, I know the way your Holy Spirit works, and there's gonna be something different that sticks out to each person. So Father, um, I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit would touch each person here and make one thing stick out to them as kind of marching orders. One thing stick out to them um, that they can't deny and that they need to implement into their life and do. Father, speak louder to each of us as individuals than you've ever spoken. And Father, I just pray you would do something so supernatural that only you get blamed. If Again, Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know they're going to heaven when they die, they've never surrendered their life to Christ, I pray you would give them a desire they cannot refuse to receive this free gift of eternal life by surrendering themselves to you. It would be the best Christmas present they could ever have. Father, thank you again for loving us and letting us see life from your perspective. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Yeah.